I've got a friend of mine in Hattiesburg that every summer in his church, they do a, do a sermon series where their church goes to the movies. Every summer they take a bunch of movies and talk about them and talk about how these different movies relate to the gospel and what we can see in this movie and how it relates back to the kingdom of God. I always kind of like stuff like that. You know, um, this past week I was at Wesley Pines and I talked about how you can take the, the, the game Minecraft and relate that back to the gospel. And I, and I think the kids kind of enjoyed it. So I've always kind of liked taking those things and relating them back to the gospel. That's what John and Charles Wesley did. If you go back and look at the early, early hymns that Charles Wesley wrote, there weren't any music to them. It was just words because the Methodists would take the, take the, the words that Wesley wrote and then sing those hymns to whatever the popular songs were of the day. So Methodists have always kind of been good at, at taking cultural stuff and pointing it back to Jesus. And so I've always kind of wanted to do that with movies, but my problem is it'd be all Star Wars. You know, that's kind of all, that's kind of like, that's kind of what it would end. We'd, we'd talk about all nine Star Wars movies and then we'd be done. So, you know, I want to kind of, I'd have to watch more movies than Star Wars, I guess, if we were going to do that. But um, speaking of Star Wars, um, <laughs> as I was reading the text, it did kind of remind me of something in Star Wars. I don't know how well-versed you are in Star Wars. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well-versed because I'm a, what's the theological word, Tim? Nerd? Is that the right? Yes, that's the right word. So, um, but if you're unfamiliar with Star Wars, there, there is a, a man by the name, a Jedi by the name of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan's one of the good Jedi in the first disastrous prequel movies. Uh, he, he, he's a Jedi and he's noble and he fights the bad guys, the Sith. And when episode three ends, Obi-Wan has defeated, spoiler alert, uh, Anakin Skywalker, who becomes Darth Vader, has defeated him. But yet the good guys lost. There's only two of the good guys left, Obi-Wan and Yoda. And they're the only two of the good that we know of that are left. And so because the good guys lost, these two good guys go into exile. Yoda goes to a planet where he sits and waits for Luke to show up. And Obi-Wan, he goes to a desert planet named Tatooine where he takes the young male Skywalker child, Anakin's son, takes him to uh, his uncle, and there Obi-Wan remains, doing doing penance, because they lost. So there he is in a foreign and barren land, alone, meditating, seeking to learn, while from a distance, from a distance, watching the young, young child grow up, watching him grow from a child to a teenager to a young man, always there, never, never seen in the young man's life, always off to the distance. And when you read, you actually read stories about how Obi-Wan protected him. When bad guys would come to harm him, Obi-Wan would step in and protect. But Luke never saw it. Obi-Wan was always off in the distance, this unseen hand protecting him, keeping him safe. But Luke never saw it. He never saw his unseen protector. But Obi-Wan was there the whole time, 
never withdrawing, never leaving him, but always just kind of behind the curtain, protecting him and guiding him to the place in his life where he could grow up to become the next good guy that would defeat the bad guys. And Obi-Wan was that silent guiding force getting him to where he needed to be. It's a very scriptural concept. Kim this morning read out of Romans, one of my favorite verses. My two favorite life verses in scripture to me are Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. God is that force in life that's guiding us, that's leading us, that's helping us to get we need to be. He is that unseen hand. Or, or perhaps it's just all coincidence. You know, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just coincidence, I would think, in Scripture today we read. I mean, it's just, just dumb luck that Naomi just happens to be from Bethlehem. I just, and, you know, I won't read anything into it, but it's just coincidence that, you know, the man that happens to show um, show. Naomi, Ruth and Naomi kindness and that they show kindness it just happens to be Boaz. But don't, read, don't read anything into that. That's just coincidence. Um, and it just happens to be coincidence that, that another man could have redeemed this property and redeemed Ruth and, and he could, was not able to do it. Just co- pure coincidence. Don't read anything into that. Uh, just coincidence. And it was just coincidence there and then that Boaz, of course, married Ruth, uh, a Moabite, and redeemed her and brought her into the fold of Israel. And, and just, just dumb luck, just dumb luck that they happened to have a son who just happened um, uh, to be the father of Jesse, um, who just happened to then be the father of David. But seriously, just coincidence. Don't, don't see anything bigger than coincidence there. And just so happens that then David happened to be the founding one that, became, that established the throne to which Jesus would inherit and be the king of kings and lord of lords and is often called the son of David in the scripture. Just dumb luck. Don't see the guiding hand of God in any of that. Of course, that's God's guiding hand. There are no coincidences in God's economy. There's no dumb luck in the kingdom of God. God is the one that is guiding and God is the one that is leading and God is the one that is directing our steps and helping us to be where he needs us to be when he needs us to be. The entire book of Ruth is about the unseen guiding hand of God that guides Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and even the other Redeemer to the place that they need to be so that they can be faithful in that moment. Before that, we read Esther. Esther is the book, we said, where God's name is never mentioned. God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. Prayer is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. But when you read Esther, you see that God is the one that just so happened to put a a Jewish woman as the queen of Persia so that she could save her people. Yeah, it's just dumb luck. No, it's not dumb luck. It's not coincidence. It is the providential hand of God at work in all things. We may not see it, We may not understand it, but God is that loving force in our life guiding us to where we need to be. I think back to when as a kid you learned how to ride your bike, at least I did. And, of course, your parents are out there with you. 
kind of pushing you. And they give you a little push, and you start pedaling. And you look back and realize they aren't there, and you're doing it by yourself. And then, of course, you realize they're not there, so you fall off and scrape your knee. But they were there the entire time. They were giving you the freedom and the power to do it and to learn. But you were, and they were guiding you, but you had that responsibility as well. So that, that's, there's a beautiful mystery, y'all. There's a beautiful mystery to God and sovereignty and free will. And I don't, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't understand that how it all works together. Kim this morning read, those who he foreknew, he predestined. And so there is this scriptural truth that God is in charge and that God is at work and that God is doing more than we can ever understand or ever know. There is no doubt scripturally that God is sovereign in all things and that God is at work in all things and we can trust God in all things. But there's also that scriptural truth of human freedom. I love the Old Testament how when they come into the promised land, Moses marches them between two mountains. One represent blessings and one representing curses. It says, choose, choose today, life or death, blessings or curses, choose. I love how Joshua gets the people at the end of Joshua and says, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of the, the neighbors in here or whether the Yahweh, choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, choose. So there is this beautiful mystery of our choice and our freedom and how it unfolds into God's sovereign plan. How does it work? I don't know. I have, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know. But I know that today I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to be faithful. And I'm empowered by God to serve him. And I'm empowered by God to seek after him. And I'm empowered by God to live a holy life, a holy transformed life. But also know that the fate of the free world is not on my shoulders either. And that there's a God who's in charge. So you are empowered by God to live holy for him today. But there's a God at work in ways that we'll never, under, that we'll never understand. There's an unseen hand at work. And that hand is God's. See, God has a plan. God has a plan for the world. Uh, before, there's, there's that great verse in Scripture that says, Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. I love that concept. Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. What does that mean? Before Adam and Eve drew their first breath, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, God knew they were going to choose sin. God knew it. God knew that Adam and Eve were human and they had free will and they were going to choose to sin. So before God even created Adam and Eve, God already had a plan of salvation in mind. And that plan was Jesus Christ. Hear me. It's very easy when we read scripture to say, oh, well, look at God. Ah, first God tried this and that didn't work. Oh, and then he tried the, pro then he tried the, the priest, and that didn't work. And then he tried the prophets, and that didn't work. So then, bless his heart, God just had to try Jesus because he tried everything else and nothing worked. No, that's not God's plan. God's plan from the foundation of the world was for Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed. That was God's plan before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was not God's last plan. 
Jesus Christ was God's first plan from the very beginning in all things. All things are held together by him. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is, the, he is the redeemer. He is the one that saves us. That was God's plan from the very beginning. And we see that across scripture. We see it in the garden. In Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the Lord cursed the serpent and said, One day y'all put enmity between her offspring and your offspring, and you will bite at his heel and he will crush your head. So in the very moment of our fall, God told, told Satan, One day an offspring of hers will crush your head. Who is that offspring? Jesus Christ. In the Passover, for the Jewish people, in the Passover, a perfect lamb was slain. And the blood of that lamb, of that perfect lamb, was placed upon the doorpost of the home. And when the angel of death came by that home, the angel would see the blood of the lamb and pass over. Because the ones who had the blood of the lamb upon their doors would be passed over from death and be saved. Come on, y'all. That's the gospel. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Passover points directly to that. In Boaz, we see a bridegroom that redeems his bride. That does the hard work of redemption and redeems Ruth. Just as we, the bride of Christ, the church, long for our redemption that is to come in Jesus Christ. This is God's plan, God's sovereign plan from the beginning of Scripture all the way through the end. God's plan of not only your salvation, but your transformation through Jesus Christ. God's at work in all things. And God's at work in our own lives. We might not understand it. We might not know it. But it's by no accident. We've already established there aren't any coincidences in God's economy. It's by no accident you're working the job you're working. It's by no accident that you're living in the house you're living in. It's by no accident you're doing what you're doing, where you're doing, when you're doing. There aren't, there aren't coincidences in God's kingdom. There aren't coincidences in God's world. God's at work in all these things. God has you where he has you for a reason. God has you doing what you're doing for a reason. You may not understand it. You might not know it. You might even be mad about it. But God has you where he has you for that purpose. What is that purpose? I don't know. You might not know. But God knows. Because all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Trust. God's at work in your life, even the broken places. I've always said the power of God is not that God stops bad things from happening. The power of God, that God can redeem anything. God can bring good out of anything, even the broken places. And even the broken pieces God can bring good out of anything. So then what do we do? We learn to trust. We learn to trust in that unseen hand when we can't see it 
and we can't even feel it. We have to trust that the same God that guided Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is the same God that guides us. The same God that guided Jesus Christ. The same God that guided Peter and James and John. It's the same God that guides us and we trust. But we don't just passively trust. We actively trust. Like, I, I'm a worrier. That's my default. My default setting is worry. Um, I tell people when I was at my last church, we had a, several break-ins to our church. And one of the break-ins, I was teaching a camp at Camp Wesley Pines. And I got a phone call that Sunday morning saying, hey, somebody broke into church. So I found the director and said, hey, I've got to go. We had a break-in. I, I got there. And of course, I got to church and there wasn't anything I could do. The police were there. There was nothing I could do. So somebody said, why is Andy here? They said, well, somebody's got to worry. It's what I do. I worry. That's my move. But I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, Andy, when you're worrying, ask God. Ask yourself, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What is the bigger spiritual lesson I'm to learn in this anxiousness? What is the bigger spiritual picture that you're trying to paint in my worry? What is the bigger spiritual lesson that you're trying to show me right now? In this moment, because I don't get it. Lord, teach me. To trust in God is not passivity. It's not just be passive. But it's to actively see God. It's to actively seek God. Even in those moments. I had a guy in the Delta, my first church. Um, One Sunday, he never, never missed church. Never missed church. One Sunday around the end of September... He said, well, preacher, I said, um, I'll see you in about six weeks. I said, wait, what do you mean you'll see me in six weeks? I mean, this church worship five on a good Sunday. You lose one out of five, that's a pretty big hit. I'm like, what do you mean you'll see me in six weeks? He said, well, fields are ready. I got to be out in the fields. He managed a planter's field. And sure enough, every season for those six to seven weeks, he was in the fields every day, 12 hours a day, gathering the crops. Now, he didn't want to be there. He'd have preferred to be at church or preferred to have a Saturday off. But in that season, he was where he had to be. These moments, these moments of fear, these moments of doubt, these moments of worry, these moments that overwhelm us when we cannot see that hidden hand of God. Hear me, church. It's just a season. And it will pass. And so when we're in these seasons that overwhelm us, trust in God's hand. In all things, trust in God's hand. The same God that guided Boaz to Ruth is the same God that will guide us where we need to be. Trust. Trust in God. Trust in the God in whom there are no coincidences. Let's pray.